Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Well, 90 years ago this year, Universal Studios released two motion pictures that starred a pair of virtually unknown actors named Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Those pictures were Dracula, released in February of 1931, and Frankenstein, released in November. Both films would go on to become beloved classics of the genre, terrifying audiences, inspiring horror fans as well as other filmmakers, and paving the way for dozens of imitators, homages, and even parodies. And because we're discussing two unforgettable films, we need two experts to get the job done. Rick Baker is an occasional actor, a designer, a gorilla expert, a monster maker, an (laughs) Emmy winner, and a seven-time Academy Award winner, and perhaps the most admired and celebrated makeup and special effects artist in the history of cinema. His contributions to the form take hours to list, but here are some. The Exorcist, It's Alive, King Kong, An American Werewolf in London, Harry and the Hendersons, Ed Wood, Men in Black, Gremlins 2, Gorillas in the Mist, Planet of the Apes, Hellboy and the Wolfman. Uh, The man even worked on a movie we love to talk about on this show, The Thing with Two Heads. He's also the author of the 2019 Rick Baker Metamorphosis of Full Color, two-volume, 700-page extravaganza highlighting his 50-year journey through Hollywood. David J. Skull is a cultural historian, critic, filmmaker, and the author of numerous books that are required reading for fans of this podcast, including Hollywood Gothic, The Tangled Web of Dracula, from novel to play to screen. The Monster Show, a cultural history of horror. V is for vampire, an A to C guide to everything undead. Dark Carnival, the secret world of Todd Browning. And in association with Turner Classic Movies, Fright Fright favorites 31 movies to haunt your halloween and beyond he's also the writer and director of the essential documentaries the frankenstein files how hollywood made a monster the road to dracula she's alive creating the bride of frankenstein 
and Monster by Moonlight, the immortal saga of the Wolfman. Frank and I are excited to welcome to the show two lifelong monster kids who might be more obsessed than we are. (laughs) Rick Baker and David J. Skull. Gentlemen. Yes. (laughs) Are some of those things true? (laughs) A few of them. (laughs) I I want to start now, David. I don't. I guess we've never met. Not no, not in person. Yeah, Uh, but David, uh, I think it's you who had this theory of uh, what made people initially fascinated with monsters. Oh, boy. Uh, People have always liked to be scared for a variety of reasons. But in terms of monster movies, they all kind of came out of uh, uh, cultural trauma. They came out of World War I, to uh, be very specific about it. And uh, monster movies, horror entertainment, uh, evolved in tandem with uh, other uh, art forms like surrealism and expressionism. And uh, they all dealt with grotesque images, and they were trying to make sense out of a world that seemed to have gone crazy. And uh, so this is the the thesis of my book, The Monster Show, uh, that horror entertainment uh, constitutes a secret history of the 20th century, and that every time there's a big cultural trauma, trauma, a war a uh, depression, um, an epidemic, uh, uh, it, it just inevitably sets forth uh, identifiable ripples in, uh, in, in the entertainment industry. Uh, I think we like to process all of these terrible things without looking at them too directly, and then we can get on for our, with our lives for a little bit longer until the next trauma. And and you were saying like before before World War One, you know, it's uh, it medicine had advanced. So before it's like somebody had their leg shot off, they were dead, and then it kept these people alive. And it's like so, people were looking at uh, basically monsters. It was uh, people didn't want to look at them. Uh, the World War I was the first completely mechanized war in, uh, in human history, and the destruction it uh, you know, just brought down upon the human body uh, was terrifying to behold. But the same uh, you know, scientific advances that made all of the death and destruction possible brought forth medical advances uh, that could keep these people alive. Uh, almost everything we know about plastic surgery today came out of... Um, uh, that, that 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 terrible experience, and it, it's a uh, it's not too hard to see uh, a lot of the classic monster movie faces. Uh, they uh, in 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 France, the disfigured veterans would always uh, lead the um, armistice parade, and uh, they were they called themselves the Union of Bashed Faces. Mm. And uh, they were ju- they were a grim reminder. Wow! Of what and I, I think part of the reason you know uh, the public flocked 
to the uh, the ersatz uh, uh, disfigurements, you know, created by people like uh, you know, Jack Pierce at Universal and uh, later people like Rick Baker, um, mm-hmm. was that uh, this information, this terrible trauma, had to be processed somehow, had to be looked at, but again, not too directly. So uh, you you can line up uh, you know pictures of any number of uh, World War One um, mutilated faces with uh, the creations of Lon Chaney Sr. Um, and you can say, my God, that does look like the Phantom of the Opera. And my God, that guy does look like Quasimodo. And, uh, but uh, they were the forgotten men. And uh, this has happened too many times in American military history. The, uh, the people who gave everything um, get, uh, <laughs> don't get anything near what they uh, deserve. In fact, they're shunned. And, it's uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah Rick, it's still let, happening. Yeah. It's still happening. Rick, yeah. talk, talk a little bit about, we want to get, get into some Monster Kid origins here, but in your book, in your wonderful book, which we plug, Metamorphosis, which people, our listeners, should get, you recount the story of becoming aware as a kid, aware of a movie called Frankenstein. Uh-huh. And if I have the story right, your dad letting you stay up late because it was a school night? Yeah, well, my dad saw Frankenstein in, in the cinema when it came out and he had told me about it way before i ever saw it most of the movies i saw were on television you know the shock theater package you know but uh but for some reason frankenstein wasn't showing for seemed like forever and these are back in the days when you'd have to get the tv guide and go through every every you know thing to try to find a monster movie but uh there was i one time i went through a tv guide and there it was frankenstein was going to be showing on channel nine you know at at 10 o'clock at night, which was past my bedtime. But uh, we actually, that night, my parents went out to some friend's house, and they took me with them. And And when we got back, Frankenstein was already on, so my dad let me watch a little bit of it. And it was it was the scene where uh, Dr. Waldman was about to dissect the monster when he's mm-hmm. uh, on the table, and then he kills Dr. Waldman, and then, and then, you know, goes to the different doors to try to get out, you know, and... And that was my first introduction, and, and from then on, I was hooked, you know. But interestingly, and tell me if I have this story right, it was a transformative moment for you, but not you didn't, you didn't suddenly realize you wanted to be a makeup artist. You realized you wanted to be, you wanted to make monsters as a mad doctor? Yeah, I was basically wanting to be a, a, a mad scientist. Yeah, a mad scientist. you know, I mean, I, for, you know, the beginning, you know, up until age 10, I kept saying to my parents that I wanted to be a doctor, you know. Uh, and, and, and you... This still, I can't make sense out of. You used to make money making monsters, so now you retired so you could make monsters and not get paid for it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so much more fun. Are you an asshole? (laughs) (laughs) It's so much more fun because now I can make... It's. I feel... I mean, I've been retired now for, I think... Five and a half years, and I feel like I'm a kid again. I mean, I, you know, I was in love with makeup and, and doing this stuff as a kid, and it was my hobby, and it's how I had fun, and it became my job. And mm-hmm. then I realized when it was a job that you have to please other people, and there's other people involved with it, and they have opinions, which a lot of times they don't agree with, you know, but they're the boss, you have to do that, you know. 
And it got to the point now where, and you know, I always say this, so like every movie now has 47 producers on it, you know. Yeah. None of them can make up their mind about what they want. It used to be, you know, you'd go into Dino De Laurentiis's office and go, Dino, what the hell are you talking about? You can't build a giant robot. It's not going to work. It's going to be me in a suit, you know. And he would say, shut up and go build a suit and, and leave me alone, you know, but at least you'd get an answer. You know, and late, the last few films I did, you know, I wouldn't get an answer from anybody. And your time was just... You would have adequate time to build it if someone would tell you what you had to build and make a decision, and they would wait until the very last minute, and then you'd be working day and night to try to make it the best you could possibly make it. Uh-huh. And it's just, you know, it got so frustrating. I was starting to hate this thing that I loved, and now I, I'm so in love with it again. I mean, I'm just having the best time. It's just, Now you have the time to recreate the Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory in your house. And in full scale and in miniature, both, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll oh, and, talk about. And David, getting back to the thing with World War One, you you mentioned the film J'accuse. J'accuse, yeah. Yes. It, it's, uh, it's an anti-war film uh, made in France. Um, there were two versions of it, actually, but the climax of it are all of the, the dead and uh, uh, disfigured Soldiers rising from the uh, from their graves to march upon the the cities of the world, and um, you know, damn if it doesn't look like a monster movie. Um, it, it's 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 really ex- extraordinary. Uh, did they use moment. the real the real yes. soldiers? Yes, yeah. they did. They had wow. uh, the, the the same ones who marched in the in the uh, in the armistice parade. Yeah, I can't. I can't look at stuff like that. It's funny. I mean, everybody thinks because I've done, I do monsters and I've done gory things that I like that kind of stuff. And the real stuff just no, it bothers I, me. You know? I mean, I've I've looked at it. Uh, you know, as a, as a researcher, uh, they are really disturbing. Yeah. Uh, what can happen to a human face uh, and still survive? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there are people like this, and uh, even still, but we still don't like to look at them mm. too much. And uh, and uh, therein lies a tale. There, there's uh, uh, horror entertainment's all about uh, you know not paying too close attention yeah. to things we and, don't want to see. But mm-hmm. the repressed always has to come back, and um, and it does as our favorite monsters. And Cheney, uh, Cheney Senior, it's funny he never actually played a monster. He was always deformed people. Mm. Yeah, he. There were no supernatural monsters in the silent era, uh, unlike Europe, which embraced the fantastic and the supernatural from the very beginning of the cinema. Um, in America, it, it was just felt people would uh, would just laugh; they wouldn't buy it. And uh, a lot of the movies in the 1920s uh, used a formula that was um, adapted from the stage. Uh, the drawing room mystery melodramas where there would be spooky goings on and terrifying characters, but they'd all be revealed at the end to be part of a criminal conspiracy or a plot to embezzle an inheritance or or, See, or that sort of thing. I always hated that when I <laughs> watch too. a movie like that because I want to see monsters. I totally don't, agree. <laughs> yeah, well, don't tell me it's some guy... With a sheet over his head, pretending to be a ghost. <laughs> it's true. I yeah. want a ghost. <laughs> well, it took it took Hollywood a long time to do that because they they had that. There's this uh, there was this big stage success called Dracula, 
And all the studios said, well, maybe we should make a movie out of it. But, but we can't. This, this is a real, this isn't uh, a, a, a criminal conspiracy. This is a real 500-year-old demon from hell. <laughs> and, uh, and they went around and around. All the studios uh, uh, were uh, considering doing it. And it finally came down to Universal and MGM. And uh, Carl Lemley Sr. told his son, Carl Lemley Jr., who he had uh, given over the reins of the studio to, that, uh, okay, you can do it, but you have to get Lon Chaney because he's the only bankable star. This is too risky a uh, proposition. And so he bought the rights to it, and uh, Lon Chaney promptly dropped dead. Mm. Uh, It was one of the big—no, it was was one of the big— Best kept secrets in Hollywood that he was uh, he was dying mm-hmm. of lung cancer in the summer of 1930 when all of these negotiations were were taking place and um, so Dracula had a real bumptious kind of road to uh, uh, to the, to the screen and it was one of Universal's biggest hits in the worst year of the Great Depression. A lot of people think it saved the studio from bankruptcy, and they followed immediately with um, uh, Frankenstein. And we have Carl Jr. uh, to thank for it, because the old man didn't really have a taste for horror films. No, he didn't, but uh, uh, Jr. was... um, uh, People are divided in their opinion of him. Um, In fact, his own family thought he was a spoiled brat and... and (laughs) And uh, I didn't re- I didn't realize until reading your book, uh, David, that he wasn't even born Carl Jr. No, he was Julius. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he just Julius Lemley. And he uh, on his 21st birthday, he got the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, took over the uh, uh, the running of Universal Studios. And, and uh, he the gift he gave back to his father was uh, his own name. It's interesting, you know, you you said the Cheney pictures made money. Obviously, Dracula was a big hit on the stage, and yet the studio still found the material repellent. Oh, yeah. Still uh, avoiding it. Even before the uh, production code, uh, they said, this is unfilmable. How how do you do all this blood drinking and and steak pounding? And, you know, this is, is, uh, yes, the book is famous, and it's sold millions of copies around the world, but uh, will people... uh, Lock to it, and the answer was yes, they did, mm-hmm. and everybody was surprised. And it wasn't just Universal who decided to uh, rush a lot of these type of films into production, but uh, over at uh, Paramount, uh, they got Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde out just at the very end of 1931, and um, and then the rest of the 1930s, you know, is is is, is kind of history. Uh, monsters who were put on the map. Yeah, golden age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rick, I learned in your book, too, that you used to do a, a, a Dracula impression <laughs> in, front of, in front of the mirror. Do you actually have, do you have, uh, do you have strong memories, clear memories of seeing these for the first time, of seeing Dracula for the first time as well? Um, not so much Dracula. I mean, definitely remember Frankenstein, you know. Uh, I, uh, what I remember more than anything else is like weird, like the million dollar movie, which we used to have where it would be the same movie every night, you know, and. But they would have things like Kaltiki, the Immortal Monster, and right. you know, like Atomic <laughs> Submarine, and, and and you know, ones that weren't the classics, you know, so much. But uh, uh, I, this is upstate I, I, New York, right? You were, no, in, in, I was I actually grew up in California. I was born upstate New York, oh, but I grew up in California. Born in Binghamton, yeah. right? My okay. my my parents, yeah, Binghamton, where Rod Serling was born, right? Uh, um, 
there's actually uh, uh, a carousel in Binghamton that had been redone by Cortland Hall. Do you know who Cortland Hall is? The guy that has that uh, uh, Museum of Monsters. Oh, yes. in uh, uh, The Witch's Dungeon. Yeah, Witch's Dungeon, yeah. Anyways, he, he restores uh, carousels, and he did it uh, Twilight Zone-themed, and he did the one where Burgess Meredith, uh, you know, is in the... Uh, in wants to read all the time, and he's in the the safe when in the bank when it blows mm-hmm. up. Uh, and he painted him up there, and he has a you know stack of books. And one of the books that he put on there, because I was born in Binghamton, uh, says "The Art of Makeup" by Rick Baker. You know? So, uh, <laughs> so my name's in Binghamton, even though I haven't been there since I was like you know uh, six months old or something. You know? Did you you guys and- both have local monster hosts? And 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 David, oh, I know yeah. you're, from oh, yes. the Cle- you're from the Cleveland area. Were you watching Gulardi? Ah, uh, Gulardi, Ernie Anderson himself. Uh, I actually uh, was on the Gulardi show. Wow, oh, great! Uh, I <laughs> I, love I, it. I went to an event and they were taping it, and uh, I held up a picture I had drawn of him, and he pull- called me up on stage and he signed it for me, and and uh, then went on with the Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. Ooh. Uh, they didn't. I, I fell through this crack with the Universal Monsters because uh, in Cleveland they showed them like in 1958 and 59, and I was about six years old, and I remember vividly. I think it's the first movie I ever saw um, or can remember seeing was Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. It's a good one, and it really uh, it, it really stuck with, yeah. with me. And then uh, and then a blackout for almost ten years. Cleveland Television did not show the Universal Classics, and uh, but there were uh, there there were magazines, famous monsters of Filmland, Castle of Frankenstein, ah, yeah. uh-huh. and fan clubs. And uh, when there were science fiction conventions, there was always a cohort of monster fans you could actually meet in person at these things. And that's what the 1960s were like for me. And I. Somehow got it into my head that Dracula must be the greatest movie ever made, only because it was so hard to see. Uh, in my imagination, it just uh, took on uh, amazing dimensions. And I finally saw Dracula and Frankenstein in a movie theater in Cleveland, an old uh, uh, revival house in 1968. And uh, Dracula really kind of, it's like, is that it? <laughs> I mean, no, no, there's got to be more here. And yeah. I think that has something to do with my obsessive quest for everything having to do with the backstory of that film. And when I found out there was this uh, alternate Spanish language version that only existed in a complete print down in uh, in Cuba at the, uh, uh, the Cinemateca de Cuba in, uh, in, in Havana, I... Uh, Got a publisher interested in my doing a book on it and went down uh, on a State Department visa. And lo and behold, I viewed the only complete print of the Spanish Dracula in the world. They let me take, uh, uh, do frame blow-ups of it. They were, they, were, they were very nice. They were just, they were very uh, flattered that somebody thought so much of this uh, this old film. But the, uh, there was, there were, Universal did have the original negative, but one reel was completely uh, gone to nitrate gunk and they thought the thing could never be uh, uh, restored or uh, brought out again and uh, they were able to now this uh, this show print from the 1940s it was on safety film at least but it was it was pretty ragged 
And but at least there was a whole film. It was the whole transition mm-hmm. from Transylvania to London. You really couldn't show the movie without it. And uh, somebody at Universal tried to stop it, saying, "No, people are going to ask for their money back if we put this thing out there." And uh, long um, internal political story at, at Universal about this. But in the end, uh, it did come out. Um, at the same time that Francis Coppola's Dracula came out, the same week, and it sold better for Universal than Spartacus on home video, <laughs> and o- opened up this whole Hispanic market for wow. uh, for for the studio. And it's been uh, it's been a favorite ever since. I I can't tell you how many uh, uh, screenings I've been invited to to uh, and 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 I can't resist anymore. <laughs> you mentioned Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So whenever I uh, hear that title, all I could think is, come one, come all, and sing this song. <laughs> Follow love, horror lay. For life is short and death <laughs> is long. For love, for there is no drinking in the tomb. Okay, so stop, stop. There's, you there's, got the uh, right audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, the fe- the fe- too long in the movie as it is. It, it was the festival of the new wine. That's right. Yes, yes. And, and I remember uh, it was. It's one of those things where you go, "This is is really <laughs> freaky." That Where's the monster? Yeah. number in the middle <laughs> yeah. of a horror film. But then uh, the Frankenstein monster, played by Bela Lugosi, who was originally supposed to play it in the 1931. Yeah, film. yeah we'll talk about uh, that. Uh, Thank he finally he uh, got to do it, and he stomped in. And as usual, monsters ruin everything. At least in the movies, they don't ruin everything for the fans. But uh, uh, I remember the thing that I remember most about that film, watching it. It was a Saturday afternoon. They would show um, these films, uh, like cable today, uh, uh, they weren't quite on demand, but uh, they would show them several times in the course of a week, and mostly late at night, but they would do these matinees. And I remember sitting there with my uncles watching Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman and watching Bela Lugosi being brought back to life. And as the electricity goes into him, this big grin comes over his face. And that, that is the, my first, you know, really strong memory of uh, a moment in a horror film. Yeah. Well, speaking still, of... And, speak, and, go, ahead, uh, go ahead, Gil. Uh, no, the funny thing about it is, I mean, Lugosi really got screwed on that uh, because it was following Ghost of Frankenstein where the monster spoke and the monster was blind. So the way Lugosi is playing it looks stupid because they changed their mind halfway through saying, no, we'll make him able to see and not be able to speak. Yeah, we keep subject. hoping that, that that footage shows up somewhere. It, I know Joe Dante was saying, you know, we... we are, you it, talking about the, are you talking about the test footage, the early test n- footage? No, not that. Just the footage of Lugosi talking as the monster, oh. and, uh, you know. And they probably discarded it because uh, these films weren't thought of in terms of ever being revived. They were, you know, programmers that went out there. And, yeah, but the Lugosi, the original Le- Frankenstein's monster test on Lugosi, I mean, I'd love to see that, even though everybody talks uh, about that. That was something else that turned to nitrate what do, gunk. What, yeah, what do we know about that, Rick? And Because it, on the on the DVD, they're talking about, you know, that it was a kind of a golem-like That's what I've always and heard, it, yeah. And, what are you, and, he, and at other points, it's referred to as like some hairy monster. 
Yeah, well, was, it, was it Lugosi doing his own makeup? Was Pierce in the picture? Uh, I think Pierce was in the picture, but I think Lugosi had a, had, was saying, I want you to do this and do this. You know, I think, and, he, I think Lugosi wanted more of his face to be visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the most reasonable thing. They originally wanted uh, Lugosi to play Dr. Frankenstein. At least he thought that's what he was mm-hmm. going to play. And uh, the, uh, there was never a real uh, you know, a stable treatment. And, and the script that, that uh, Lugosi was offered... Uh, was not the one that James Whale directed, mm-hmm. and the monster had no hint of pathos whatsoever. It was mm-hmm. just just a killing machine, mm-hmm. and it it was a complete and it, it was a thankless part. And uh, Lugosi apparently told people, you know, I'm an actor, not a scarecrow, and <laughs> and, and that footage was probably destroyed as well. No, it was it was uh, saved. The um, really uh, Paul Ivano was the cameraman, and he kept the reel in his garage. And when people finally approached him about it, uh, he said, "Oh, yeah, I've got that." And he went out, and there it was, uh, you know, complete, uh, completely congealed together, mm. like the, the third reel of the Spanish Dracula. Oh, yeah. that's too bad. And the uh, and that happened too much. And I think one of the reasons I have uh, written a lot of my books is because people missed the chance to document this stuff. People interviewed Paul Ivano. People interviewed Edward Van Sloan, who was in the screen test with Lugosi, and they just did not ask specific questions. And it was, it, and, and, and um, not long after, they were all gone. Mm. Carl Lemley Sr., a lot of people don't know this, he got an awful lot of people out of, uh, out of Germany. Uh, very quietly, he didn't make a big showy thing of it, but he he uh, uh, gave people uh, uh, work at Universal. He gave them housing on the on the lot, uh, and uh, he has uh, you know, posthumously was was recognized in Germany. There's a little museum now uh, dedicated to uh, fascinating to man. All of his stuff, yeah, fascinating mm-hmm. life. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Rick, Rick just talk a bit about the the, the makeup in, in Dracula. And interestingly, Pierce is not credited. Uh, well, I mean, he's not the, heard... I mean, he's not. He's listed on IMDb, but he's not credited anywhere on the on the title card. Mm-hmm. And 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 was the story about Lugosi wanting to do his own makeup because he had done it on stage? That's what I've always heard. Isn't that what you've That's, heard? I've I've, I've heard that. Um, I there's that picture of him sitting in front of a mirror, you know. But, uh, well, yes, I mean because that's yeah. That's, of course, they did that's not him doing his real makeup. But, White zombie, but, they worked together. Mm-hmm. No, he did. Uh, uh, he did have to have the uh, hairpiece with the slight widow's peak put in. He did a fairly good job of that. It it doesn't really uh, jump out as a <laughs> as but, a, as a rug. It, it's no Frankenstein's monster. You no, know, no, it's no Frank. You know. <laughs> I mean, you know, Frankenstein's monster, you know, had such an effect on me when when I saw Dracula. It's like, it's an old guy with a tuxedo on. You know, it's like, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, I mean, it's it's not Frankenstein. I mean, I mean, mind you, I I love Bela in that film and 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 everything else, but you know, it was you know, like Gilbert said earlier, you know, one of those movies that you have somebody in a sheet. You know, I can't tell you how many movies I sat through, you know, an hour and a half 
before they finally show the monster for two seconds, you know, and, and that's why you went to see the movie, you know, and yes. it's like, you didn't, you know, you, and, you, you didn't go to the kitty matinee to see all the talking, you know, it's a, a, between people. You want to see the monsters, you know. Well, of course. And, and getting back to how they changed Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, uh, you know, he's walking. Well, there are scenes where he's moving his mouth. Because there was dialogue originally yeah, they, there. they couldn't cut everything out. Mm-hmm. So there are some snippets of uh, Lugosi's mouth flapping. But, and uh, Lugosi is walking, and that created the Frankenstein walk. With the arms yeah, out. With yeah, with his arms out. Yeah. No other actor was doing that. That's mm-hmm. no. total Lugosi. Lugosi was trying to show that uh, the monster was blind yeah. with the brain of Igor now uh, stuck in his head. And how disappointing uh, that had to be for him to have, you know, played it one way and then have it all that stuff cut out and you look like an idiot, you know. But the uh, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, most yeah, of the movies, and Lugosi was blamed, yeah, for a lot of that, yeah, the performance being ridiculous, but he was playing it the way the original script was. Well, and so much of it is Eddie Parker, anyways, isn't it? It you was know, true, like, you know, his, yeah. his best part at Universal, uh, Igor in Son of Frankenstein. Um, it wasn't even scripted. It was half improvised. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, th- there is no shooting script that has, uh, uh, you know, that that part in it. It was um, it, it was really an inspired thing, and Lugosi probably should have been able to do more Wait, improvisation. And he got paid scale or something. And it was only for a couple of days originally, right? And then the director decided he loved him so much that he yeah. kept adding stuff and keeping him on, so he got more money and stuff. Yeah, like yeah uh, Universal. That's, that's Lugosi's the best part, as far as Universal always knew they could. Finest hour. Yeah, they could take and, advantage. And of Lugosi, Lugosi, I heard they wanted to hire him for a week. Yeah. On that, and yeah. then the director said, "No, no, he's staying." Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. And and Lugosi, uh, when he's playing Igor, looks like he's having fun. He does. Oh, my God. Even though he's working for scale. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. he's having the time of his life as an actor, for God's sakes. I mean, it... Um, he, his range was quite uh, quite amazing, if you look at the, the, the stuff he did on the stage in Hungary and, uh, uh, and in silent films... Uh, it he only gradually moved into the you know playing the heavy, and uh, but he made such an impression as Dracula, without makeup and without and it was his voice it was his face, and after that, uh, audiences and studio executives uh, saw Lugosi they saw Dracula, and uh, it, it's just one of the saddest examples of. You know, typecasting, uh, just kind of strangling somebody's career. Even though he only played that part, do I have this right? Twice. Twice, yeah. Twice I, on screen, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 Where's Dracula? Yeah, yeah. As Dracula, Return, once in a yeah, comedy. Re, right, oh, and Return of the Vampire, he's uh, uh, yeah. basically Dracula, and but Mark not called that. Mark of the Vampire, that. he's Ra- yeah, Mark of the Vampire. Vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Character. Yeah. And he wore capes in a lot of other films, too. But but uh, it was all always, uh, no, Lugosi is that guy with the cape and who sucks next. You know, yeah. let's... And, hey, and G- G- Gilbert, have you seen my uh, me made up as Igor? Have you seen any of that footage of me as Igor? No. Oh, you'll have to send it to us, Rick. Uh, oh, wow. It's on. It's on my Instagram. Uh, I did a because I, I I always loved Igor, so I did a. I actually wrote a song about Igor, and I I was did a makeup on myself and filmed some stuff. And uh, it's uh, there's if you if you type in Bela Lugosi Igor, 
for images, an image of me will come up, and it's been used on DVDs and a whole bunch of stuff. And I think it's because they just type in Bela Lugosi, <laughs> and it's a high-res, you know, image. You know, yeah, so. it's the same thing. There's a there's a a CG model of Dracula that I did years ago, and I was testing the software. And it's a very, I did a very detailed uh, rendering, and that shows up. People are selling it as a high resolution image of Dracula. I, yeah, I saw that doing my research. I also you, found your Schlitzy. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Which Gilbert would appreciate being such a fan of freaks. <laughs> oh, I, and, thought you said, and, be, I thought you were going to say being such a pinhead. And I, I remember <laughs> that too. In, in Ghost of Frankenstein, that, I mean, because he was, he was very funny as Igor. And um, I remember he wants his brain put in the monster's body, and they say, no, we'll put uh, Dr. Bowman's brain in the monster's body. And Igor says, no, then he'll be your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done, Gil. (laughs) Rick, I heard you, I saw you in in David's doc in in the Road to Dracula. You were a terrific doc, by the way. David. Oh, thank you. And my favorite Hope Crosby picture that was never made. Um, the uh, that was a joke. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> did, Rick, you were saying <laughs> you were saying you, were saying you might. I, have I, liked, I laughed silently. Yeah. I know you laughed inwardly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You 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 were saying you might have you would have been fascinated to see what Cheney had done with the character had he lived. Uh, with what? With what Dracula. Mm, yeah, it would be really interesting to see. But you know, I mean, the thing is, I mean, Lugosi. Is Dracula? I mean, you know, I can't imagine a Dracula without Lugosi. You know, I mean, that 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 whole that time, everything about it. You know, Cheney. I mean, it was great to see Cheney in in the Unholy Three, the sound version, and he seemed like didn't seem like a period actor when you see him. He he seemed like he could be contemporary actor. He was really Mm -hmm. great the way his performance. You know, so. I, I'm sure it'd be a totally different thing. Yeah, well, it, we, Gilbert and I were on the phone last night, and I asked the question: Cheney was such a star. Had he not died when he did, is it safe to assume that he perhaps would have played both of these parts? That he would have ended would up being so. both yes. the count and the monster, and then we there's a possibility that we wouldn't know Karloff and Lugosi as icons yeah. today. We don't. What we don't know is whether he would have come back to Universal. He had such a horrendous experience with the Phantom of the Opera, and they wanted to get him to do Dracula and the Return of the Phantom, which was never made. And um, part of it was his illness, and part of it was... uh, 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 Go go read the history of the Phantom of the Opera, the the production of it. It was one of the most uh, uh, embattled productions of the whole silent era, and Cheney ended up directing most of it himself. Mm. Um, I can't believe they tore that stage down. I, I, I'd worked on that a number of times. Oh, that was, that was such a crime. Uh, uh, which stage did they tear down? The, the Phantom stage of the Opera 28, stage. Stage 28, oh, the Phantom yeah. of the Opera stage. The Opera House was still there. You know, we I, I shot in there in the Night Professor. I shot in there in the Grinch. And, yeah, yeah I, we, I went all through it. I was looking around for uh, somebody. Uh, wow. I was hoping I said Lon was here somewhere. No, you know, I've got uh, my, uh, <laughs> uh, my dear late friend Carla Lemley, who... Uh, um, who also took uh, Uncle Carl's first name uh, as her own <laughs> feminized. Uh, she, her, her first name was Rebecca. Uh, she speaks the first lines of dialogue in Dracula. 
Among and the Rugged narr- Peaks. she narrates your doc, too. Yes. Which was that great. Great was to so hear. much fun. She didn't remember doing it or- originally. I uh, found her listed uh, in, in a uh, casting list somewhere, and I said, my God, I wonder if she's still around. And I, uh, Lupita Tovar gave me the name of uh, uh, another Lemley relative, uh, and I called him, and she said, oh, yeah, Carla's around. Here's her, here's her phone number. And I called her up, and she answers the phone and the voice. I recognize the voice as the girl in the coach in Dracula. Wow. <laughs> and I tell her about it. I said, my gosh, I'm doing this book about old Hollywood Gothic. And, um, and she said, Dracula? No, I'm not sure I remember Dracula. I was in the Phantom of the Opera with Lon Chaney, though. You know? <laughs> and, she didn't remember having the first line in Dracula. Well, she didn't remember because uh, wow. literally they just kind of grabbed her. Uh, somebody from costume came over and grabbed her. They gave her this little travel booklet with the lines written in it. And, uh, and that was it. She doesn't remember meeting Todd Browning. But, of course, once we showed her the film, of course that's me. And, mm-hmm. and she did all kinds of small parts uh, and, at Universal. And it's funny. It's like in a, in a thousand years from now, if you say to someone, do a vampire voice, they'll go into a Bela Lugosi imitation. And he was absolutely the last person that Universal wanted. You, you're totally correct on that. He, they wanted, they wanted Cheney, and everybody, everything else was a disappointment, you know, to uh, 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 Carl Senior after uh, after that. And they uh, looked at all the actors who'd done it on stage. Uh, they turned down Lugosi Flat uh, a couple of occasions. I've found copies of the telegrams where. Uh, from you know, telegram from uh, Carl Lemley Jr. to one of the agents. Not interested. Bela Lugosi, present time regards mm-hmm. Carl Lemley Jr. And the uh, and it was like the, the 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 stage play. They couldn't find somebody to do it in New York. The uh, play originated in London, and the uh, actor Raymond Huntley, who I got to meet, that was. I've had some wonderful, uh, you know, time machine moments. Uh, I was telling Gilbert my... you got to meet David Manners too. I did. I really yeah. became friendly with him. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it, it was just crazy. And then I, I actually talked more with all these people about other aspects of their lives and life in general than than these movies. Because now, uh, David David Manners and we've discussed it. Frank and I have discussed the movie The Black Cat many which times. We both loved and. There is a scene in that movie where Lugosi is talking, saying the prison that he went to and and how he survived the prison and all this. And it's you're seeing reaction shots of David Manners, and it always amazed me his acting there. He looks like he's really listening. It wasn't acting listening. It was he looks like He's paying attention. He and he was, and he told me that was the only film he did at Universal, where the actors were treated with respect, were told what was happening in the scene. Um, he said otherwise they were just telling you to go find your marks, and and they shot things out of sequence, and the actor wasn't in control of anything. He he was a stage trained actor and uh, did not uh, like 
working in Hollywood at all. And, uh, and he told me the story about the, uh, the moment he decided to leave Hollywood. And it was the day his agent told him he was going to do a movie with Joan Crawford. And he said, I told you I never want to work with that woman because of her <laughs> reputation. And he said, well, if you don't want to do it, you take the script back to her. Uh, I'm not talking to her again. And so he, uh, he went over to Metro and uh, asked where her bungalow was and, and went for it and uh, saw her. And she saw him just uh, uh, briefly. And then she disappears inside. And he comes to the door and knocks. She opens it. And he said it was the ugliest thing he had ever seen. This beautiful woman just uh, broke into some of the most, the filthiest tirades. And um, I, I, are, are we uh, not safe for work on this podcast? No, no, you can say anything. Gilbert yeah. encourages, he encourages profanity. Yes. <laughs> well, please, I, please say fuck. <laughs> she, I'm, I'm impatient. <laughs> who do you th- who do you think you are, you faggot cocksucker? You know, <laughs> uh, and that and he ju- and it just went on and on and on until until she was spent, and he he was just kind of stunned, and he said he just knelt down, put the script at her feet, and got up and went back to his car, and then the anger hit him, and he sped off of the lot. I mean, to the point where they called the jeez. Uh, 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 the studio police and we were following him and he just sped and sped and sped and he went way out into the desert and um and he stopped and he decided i'm moving out here where there aren't any people and uh he and his partner did uh start a guest house in the desert a very secluded place and they would have people like uh, greta garbo uh, or albert einstein i mean wow. it, it was it was really wild and um uh, and Dracula was just such a little blip in his life. Like I said, we talked about all kinds of stuff that was a lot more interesting to him and, frankly, to me. You said in the commentary that he didn't care for Lugosi much, that he found him unapproachable and aloof. He said he was just being the very odd man that he was. I see. <laughs> and you know, you know, it could have been a language thing, too. You know, I mean, he, you know, and, and Lugosi each could have been in character. But, you yeah, know, what, he, how, what, what David Manners should have told... Joan Crawford, that, you know, in a number of years, you're going to be in Trog. Now, how much, how much English did Lugosi know? He didn't start taking formal lessons uh, in New York until just before the time he was doing Dracula on stage. And his English was, was really rough. In fact, he got into trouble with Actors' Equity uh, for claiming he... Uh, could uh, act and direct in English uh, in the early 20s, and he really couldn't, and got called up on equity charges. But the... uh, Can you ride a horse? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) And he... uh, But he learned a lot of his... uh, It was was a crutch. He learned a lot of his uh, roles phonetically, uh, especially early on. And on stage, it really created some problems when if somebody threw him the wrong line... He was just off. The whole thing was was off, and that happened a few times in uh, Dracula. <clears throat> but his son told me that he uh, he said my dad never learned to think in English. There was always 
it was always being translated. And that oh, happens when, when you, you know, you're nearly 50 years old and you're taking a foreign language lessons for the first time, uh, your, your brain just can't handle it. You've really got to learn foreign languages when you're a kid uh, to become completely fluent. But uh, so what we have isn't exactly a Hungarian accent, but it's uh, uh, a Hungarian actor speaking English phonetically in some of those early films, that very deliberate manner of speaking. <laughs> Rick, Rick David says yeah. on the commentary that when, when television, when these films came to television, uh, that he thought he believes that Lugosi would have had a career resurgence had he not died in 56. you agree with that? Yeah, probably so. I mean, all the monster kids, you know. I mean, uh, you know, uh, how old are you, David? I'm 69. 69, okay. So I, I'm actually 70 and a half today. It's my half birthday, but oh, uh, half, happy but, half birthday! Uh, but, uh, half, half <laughs> birthday, happy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all of us who grew up in that time, you know, in, in the sixties, uh, the monster craze was so he was, much a part of our life. I do know. know that he was approached even before uh, Vampira made her debut. He was approached to um, uh, host uh, uh, some horror pictures on, mm. on on television. I think he actually did something that has not uh, survived in any any form but um, in a way he would have been a wonderful uh, horror host it would be like it would be like glenn or glenda him sitting there <laughs> that's exactly how he could have, have been done a great it. host and i remember i remember talking to uh forrest ackerman and he met he was a kid and he met uh lugosi and he spent the day with him helping him you know travel around and holding the door and he said, Lugosi said to him at one point, very confused, he said, why are you young people so nice to me? Mm. And so he would have had a, a career. It's nice to think of that. It's oh, nice I think that's nice to absolutely. That, yeah. Oh, no, and he, here's something, here's something I, 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 with the Munsters. Uh, Lugosi was already gone by then, but how come they never had Karloff or Cheney on the Munsters for a guest appearance? I don't know. I mm, think uh, Kar Kar Karloff had probably... He was pretty old uh, at that point. Yeah. He had probably gone back to uh, England by that that time, and he wasn't really a Hollywood Karloff died in 69, right? 69. And the Munsters was what? 64? 64, 64, 65. So it's about five years earlier, but uh, yeah. like uh, his daughter uh, told me, um, it didn't matter how sick he was, how much oxygen tank he needed on the set. He would do it. Yeah, he just half wanted, a lung he, or whatever it was he had. No. He didn't want to. Um, um, he did not want to retire. He didn't want to uh, say he couldn't do it, and uh, it was just a, a, a matter of personal pride or personal terror to him. Um, that but, is a good question. I mean, if Cheney was around and, and yeah. Karloff was around, it would have been great to see them on on the monsters. Yeah, yeah, that would have been wonderful. Yeah. Didn't John Carradine? Yeah, he, he was yeah. like the boss, Mr. Gateman. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah, and he's the, in the movie, too. He's the, in the movie the, as the... The funeral uh, director. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's another thing. A friend of mine sent me a photo of a Frankenstein head mask, and the face looked like John Carradine. So was he ever up for either that or Herman Munster, maybe? Not he, that I know of. 
Well, given the chance, he would claim uh, he was up for everything. He, <laughs> he claimed. I, I don't. I don't think any human claimed, being had more IMDb credits than John Kerry. <laughs> no, no, something I, like seven hundred films. And um, uh, you know, I don't know why he felt the need to pad his. <laughs> but he he did he did uh, uh, claim that he had been considered for. Uh, the monster in Frankenstein. There's no documentation of that anywhere that I've been <laughs> right. able to find. Right. Uh, he does show up in the Black Cat, and he shows up in Bride of Frankenstein. Yes, yes. But uh, he what was. Do you, uh, what do you guys think of the Black Cat? I mean, as long as we're on the subject, we will. For, we, otherwise, we'll forget to add it at the end. I, I'm sure we asked you last time, Rick. But it's a it's a it's a kinky favorite of Gilbert's and mine. No, I know you guys like it. I. You know, I mean, I, I love the fact that that Bela and Boris are in it, but the no art monster. direction is interesting too. The art direction is great, and all that that uh, you know, Art Deco kind of stuff. You know, but there's no monster. You know? No, I mean, for me, it also you doesn't know, make any sense. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, that's it doesn't what's happen. so funny. Usually, when I watch a movie and something doesn't make sense, I get angry. But with the black cat. <laughs> I love that nothing at all in it makes sense. <laughs> it's, you know, for me, if it's visually interesting, I don't care if it makes sense or not. You know, I mean, I... I there you go. I, I, I'm not an intellectual like, well, it's like a, it's friend a, here. You know? it's, <laughs> it's, I'm just more, I, I respond more to visual stuff. You know? For what it is, it's very, you know, it's very, it's very stylish. Yes. Uh, Elmer, Elmer treated his actors like uh, actual creative people in their own right. So Manners uh, did have a good time for at least <laughs> the few weeks that film uh, w- w- was made. And, uh, of course, the whole theme of it about these uh, these, these two monstrous men who uh, became that way because of World War I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know are, are not we the ones uh, whose bodies were torn asunder? Are not we the living dead, you know— uh, uh, it just uh, underscored all of those points that I was trying to, you know, make in my, in my my books. I do have I, I it's not all sociology for me though. You know, I I really, I uh, I, I'm a monster kid. I think they are just fun. Yeah. And, and I'm having in my old age. I'm having um, a lot of fun. This you're being in the, the right, ninety. And this I is, I remember in Black the right Cat, Lagosi says. Many men went there. Few have returned. I alone have returned. Not to kill you, to kill your Your soul. soul. (laughs) (laughs) Kill your soul slowly. (laughs) That was the line. Yeah, there are great lines in that. They're just moments. There are just uh, attitudes. That's the stuff you remember. Rick, and, and uh, I, I, I remember part. there's no monster. Yeah, there, There's no monster, so it's, it doesn't float your boat. There's one part, too, where you could see Lugosi, you know, fucked up one line. And because I'm sure they either had, like, both, they tried both tear the skin off your body or fray the skin off your body. So Lugosi says, I will frayer the skin. Frayer. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the worst thing you can do to somebody's skin. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, I've heard you say that you always found Karloff to be more, more, a more fascinating uh, performer than Lugosi. Do you do well, you think he would have made an interesting count? You know, I I don't think he I don't think it would have been the same as Lugosi for sure. I mean, 
Bela was Dracula. Mm-hmm. He Car- almost did it. Uh, Karloff? He, Karloff agreed to play Dracula for Richard Gordon around the same time he did The Haunted Strangler. Uh-huh. And it was going to be filmed in England. And, uh, and it was derailed by the Hammer uh, uh-huh. film. Well, he did that. He did that uh, Baba film. That uh, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah the, where the, he played the, a vampire. The Wordlock. Yeah, was, the Wordlock. Yeah. But he said he uh, he he said, well, I I guess I'll do it. You know, but, but uh, only if I don't have to imitate Bela. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the producer uh, told that to me directly, so I believe it. <laughs> Okay, here's something I want to know, too, because I'm a big Cheney Jr. fan. Uh, I get the impression Cheney Sr. was a horrible father. Uh, that's kind of what I got, too. Yeah, <laughs> That's what um, I couldn't get him to open up too much about it, but I asked uh, uh, Kurt Siedmack about um, uh, Cheney and his father, and he said that Cheney Jr. was a tortured person, and that his father was a sadistic man. And um, I've heard other stories that aren't safe for work, and I'm not going to go into them here. Wow. And, and um, but the the uh, there, there was no love lost between them. He certainly didn't want his son to become an actor. Or Cheney Jr. Yeah. Or Cheney, yeah. much less. That was the, uh, universal insistent yeah. on that. It was, yeah. I remember reading a quote of Lon Cheney Jr. where he said, if I could, I would adopt every child in the world because there's nothing worse than growing up unloved. Mm. And That's it sad. really shows. Well, he yeah. certainly loved Janet Ann Gallo. Yes. Yeah. Who, yeah, we, who want... we had here on this show, by the way. Yeah. Right. Rick, here's, a, here's a, a, a question a little off the subject, but I also heard you talking about Nosferatu, Mm-hmm. The, uh, the 22 uh, Nosferatu, and saying that the makeup and the design should not work. Well, and yet you know, it does. It does. I mean, it's and it's such a classic image. But I mean, when you look at it, he's got this ridiculous big, you know, hook nose, and uh, you know, it's a it's a Commedia dell'arte. Figure. It's Punchinello mm-hmm. to, from uh, the profile. Um, that and Shylock mm-hmm. kind of mixed together in this really. Yeah, I mean, it's, way. It, it, it shouldn't work, but it does. And, I mean, I, I think also it's the fact that the film itself is just so well made and the, the design of it and everything, is just, it's, it just all works, you know. But I remember, that's a film I do remember seeing on television for the first time. Oh, you do? Yeah, and it was like, I hadn't really, I, I'd seen pictures in Famous Monsters, but I didn't know that it was Dracula, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm going... This movie's Dracula. This yeah. is this is Dracula. You know, yeah, well, it's exactly Dracula. You know, it's like a, and uh, Bram Stoker's widow figured that out real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that that story is well told in your book. Oh, thank you. That was in that Hollywood was, Gothic and how she that she, was the she kernel got a lot of, of prints destroyed. Mm. Uh, she got oh, them wait. ordered destroyed. Uh, yes. it didn't fortunately happen. But uh, uh, my gosh, she wouldn't even when she had captured a print in London. Uh, she refused to to look at it. It was something beneath. Mm. Her oh, so no prints were no prints were destroyed at all. I thought the ones that had sh- shipped to the states were the ones that were safe. No, uh, Universal bought uh, the one print that was floating around the states, and they bought it quote for purposes of destruction. 
I see. Uh, because I stand they, corrected. Because they bought the copyright to, to, to Dracula. But they didn't. And actually, they used a couple of snippets in a, uh, a short subject called Boo that's on some of the Universal uh, discs. And it's one, and you look at it and it's my God, that's the most pristine clip from Nosferatu I've ever seen. And it was from the original negative. And, uh, but that, uh, with all the other Universal holdings, you know, in the 1940s, probably did go, uh, go into the fire. And um, it's funny, we were talking about how Karloff would have been as Dracula, but the mummy always struck me as a remake of Dracula. Oh, yeah. John Balderson, who wrote you know, the stage play of Dracula, <laughs> knew exactly what he was doing. You know, he was uh, working with a formula that worked. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And it's uh, it's remarkable. You know, down uh, you've got this undead uh, 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 creature come back from the grave to possess uh, the soul of a young woman and uh, who is being guarded by uh, Edward Van Sloan and David Manners. <laughs> that one delivers the creeps, the mummy. It's, it does. It's, it's, it's still, really it nice. It still works so well. Directed by Freund, who some people yeah. think may have directed Dracula. Well, that's well, Mad that's, Love. I'll, Mad Love is great. I love Mad Love. Mad Love is, Mad love is oh, wonderful. And, and, yeah. love and that one. Peter Laurie is yeah. amazing in that. Love it's that such one. a great film. Yeah. No, every creepy moment in Mad Love, where he shows up with he's pretending to be like a guy. Rollo, the knife, uh, the knife thrower. Yeah. Yes, and he's wearing a neck brace and metal hands. That's very creepy. Welder's goggles and stuff. Yeah, yes. it's very cool. Yeah, it, it's a uh, that that's one of my favorite uh, uh, pictures. 1935 was 1931 and 1935, and I guess 1939. Uh, beginning, middle, and end. They were there were really some spectacular uh, films in the 30s. And, Mad and Love it's is great. Funny that Dracula. Although so so much of it is just the camera pointed at the stage play, every now and then there's a scene in it where you go, "Wow, that was really good." Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. It's it's um... maybe the scenes Freund was in charge of. Yeah, yeah probably so. I think so. <laughs> the camera was moving. Well, what what uh, David Manners told me is that. Uh, and people said, oh, he must have been senile. He was 92 when you talked to him. Well, I've got a recording of a interview he did in 1972 where he made the same point. He said, somebody asked me who directed Dracula, and I had to tell them, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't, Todd, it wasn't Todd Browning. He didn't direct anything that I— uh, Really? Wow. Any of my scenes. It was Carl Freund who did anything I could call directing wow. on that movie. And that it was very— very disorganized uh, uh, shoot, and uh, and he and Helen Chandler both felt it was ridiculous, and they loved snickering about it. Uh, well, it's oh. it's called movie making. It's like I mean, I'm always amazed that any movie ever gets finished, let alone oh, turns yeah. out to be good. It's a miracle when a movie's good, you know. They're, Rick, they're Rick, always you, train wrecks. When you saw the monster as a kid, and I've heard you say that you didn't find him scary, you found him sympathetic. Well, I think most kids, uh, uh, monster kids, did. I mean, I think that's the appeal to, and those are the kind of monsters I like. You know, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, splatter movie kind of guy. You know, and and uh, uh, I like those sympathetic monsters. You know, the Frankenstein's monster, the Charles Lawton Quasimodo. I mean, it, it brings me to tears. You know, it's uh, such a great performance from by Lawton and a great makeup. You know, and 
those are the kind of monsters I like that you, I mean, you, you feel for him. And, you know, yeah. he, mm-hmm. he wasn't, he didn't ask to be put in this situation. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, as a kid, you know, and uh, you relate to that. Yeah, kids, uh, you know, they tend to gravitate to uh, teenage boys, especially. Uh, they very often like the more obvious things about uh, the Wolfman and the Frankenstein monster, the, 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 the hair sprouting, the uncontrollable urges, the rejection by women. Uh, but then there's Dracula, who's not any of those things. And he was the one I uh, gravitated toward, and I think it was because he was in control. And... Uh, I discovered monsters in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. Yeah, I heard you talking about how the Monster Mash was the big hit at that time. It was. On the radio. It was the number one during that during those yeah, uh, 12, twelve days or whatever. Uh, it was a. It was number one on the charts. A it's dance still of death. One of my charts. It. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, <laughs> dance of Long death, read by a mad scientist. It. It, it, it was funny, like Frankenstein, where Karloff. He was a, a complete character that Karloff was in Frankenstein. And then Frankenstein became like, you know, by the time uh, Glenn Strange was doing it, um, it was like the stupid monster who comes to life at the end and fucks everything up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dumb brute. It was, yeah. and it's, it's really awful that so many of the stock uh, photography companies uh, have Glenn Strange photos identified yeah. as Karloff. That when Karloff died, I think even the New York Times yes. ran a picture of Glenn Strange as uh, the monster. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I saw that in a paper, and I said, that's Glenn Strange. That's not Karloff. You know, it's, it's the people who pick these pictures, you know, you would think they would have, they would know this stuff. I mean, but it's funny, like, even the people today, you know, who are doing stills that they release— there's uh, when I did the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, they had a, a lunchbox image that was an unfinished makeup of Tim Roth. He didn't have his hair on, oh you know. Didn't ha- and that's what they chose <laughs> oh to put boy. on the lunchbox. You know, and I was like, what the hell? But yeah, when people who are supposed to, supposedly experts saying, you know, Boris Karloff is dead. Here's you know, here's a picture of him. You know, uh, yeah. unforgivable. You ha- you have a, per- a, a kind of an indirect connection to Bela. Rick, but a but a, a a big one in pop culture, and that's turning Martin Landau into yeah. Bela. Uh-huh. And, and tell, we talked about it a little bit last time. But tell tell us something. Tell tell us. Well, what I was, mean, what was know, most memorable? What what uh, what stands <laughs> out to you about that tr- that challenge? You know, that I, when I heard that that film was being made, uh, and that Martin Landau was going to play Bela, I, I I I had I said I have to do this. You know, <laughs> I, I have to do this, and. I talked to Tim, and I, because uh, I, I'd known Tim, and, and uh, I said, you know, I'll, I'll do this for free if I have to, you know. And my stock answer is, he pretty much took me up on that. You know, I did. I, he, he got a, he got a good deal <laughs> yes, on right. it, you know. But it was just such a pleasure. Unfortunately, I was doing another job at the time, and I couldn't apply the makeup on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. my friend V Neil applied it, um, but I did the initial test and the design and sculpted the, the pieces and stuff like that. But it was the first time I made up uh, Martin was just such a pleasure, you know, because, uh, you know, he 
he was the makeup guy on on mm-hmm. Mission Impossible, you know, and and, yeah. uh, and he's in hand. The, yeah, and he's in you know <laughs> in the outer limits, you know, and all this stuff, you know, and uh, Space nineteen ninety nine, you know, so I mean, we, he and he loves to talk about all that stuff, you know. So we had a great time, uh, uh, you know, chatting. That was great. That, we you, we here's tried a question. to get him on the podcast. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. We would have loved to have Carla too. She passed away the year we started this in twenty fourteen. Uh, oh God, she was. Uh, her stories were just just fantastic. What a gem she would have been. Oh, and I think I think um, I always remember Martin Landau said that he picked up the award that was uh, meant for Bela Lugosi. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember him saying that. Was that was right. They, and they cut they cut him short. Uh, he was saying something very complimentary about Lugosi, and uh, and the music came up, and he was whisked off. You know, that I always hated when they did that music thing, but this last year's Oscars, when people went on and on and on and on oh, and on. God. They, know, he, I, I, oh, God. Now, now you missed <laughs> the orchestra. The hook. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where the hell is the music cue? You know, because, you know, you know, they tell you, you got 30 seconds. You know, when you get up there, there's a big a big clock that starts counting down from the time they re- do your name. So you get up there with your 30-second speech that you memorized, and you look... And it's on twenty five, you know, right, and right. and counting down. It's horrifying, you know. But but you know, it's a necessity apparently. <laughs> Rick, here's a question you can answer. Uh, when I worked on the film Gods and Monsters, uh-huh. which love uh, that, that picture. Oh, I'll come back and talk to you about that too. Oh, it was, we love it. Was it. We, we like but, um, we like uh, what what's the one Shadow of the Vampire? The one about Shrek is good. Yeah. Too. Yes, yeah. yes. That followed it, and uh, oh, uh, Ian Defoe. Ian McKellen told told us that he had been approached at some point. About playing uh, Lugosi and Ed Wood, I never heard that. You never heard that? No, I never heard that. And uh, I don't. Obviously, it didn't go very far. But uh, mm, no, he said he just he read the script and uh, said he couldn't, didn't know how to get into a Hungarian mind mm. or something like that. Well, if you read was... the script, I'm surprised he didn't do it because I thought the script was brilliant. You know, uh, Scott and Larry who wrote that script, I thought did a great job. You know. But There's yeah. a music video in which Ian plays a, a Nosferatu-like vampire, and it's oh, really yeah? quite—I only saw it for the first time this year. It's, it's quite wonderful. You must have felt a lot of gratification, personal satisfaction when, when Landau won the Oscar, Rick. I did, yeah. And, and, and it, it was just—I I just wish that I wanted to be— on the bright of the monster set, you know, and, and, and don't and, all of us want to be on that you know, set. And, <laughs> and I, I was doing Wolf in, in making of Jack Nicholson at the time, and I couldn't do it, you know. And it was like, damn, you know, that's all, one of the whole reasons I wanted to do this movie, just to, to be on that that crappy set, you know, with the painted blocks on the wall and the and the refrigerator and you know and stove or whatever. Else. <laughs> and, and shout out to Scott and Larry. Friends yeah, of this show. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first a word from our sponsor. Here, here's a question from a listener, Wallace Matthews. David, I know you've written that horror his back to World War One again. I know you've written that many of the horror films of the thirties were symbolic of the horrors of World War One. Do you think in any way that Henry Frankenstein's obsession with creating not only life but a race of living dead men in some way foreshadows the horrors of Nazi Germany? Um, well, we're, uh, World War I foreshadowed Nazi Germany. I mean, in a way, it, uh, it was, war was this endless process. And uh, what was interesting, I, I, I thought about a lot of the American horror films in the late 30s and early 40s, is these mad scientists who were conducting on screen the same kinds of experiments that... Uh, Josef Mengele mm-hmm. was uh, uh, doing in the camps. 
I mean, here it was, again, American evasion, American not wanting to get too, too down and dirty, uh, but still having to face these ugly realities and then kind of laugh it off as escapist entertainment. Um, but, uh, yeah, you see, you see the, uh, uh, well, Kurt, uh, Kurt Siedmack, we talked about before, uh, when he wrote the Wolfman, uh, he had Nazi Germany in mind when he had, uh, uh, the, you know, if you become a werewolf, you were marked with the star in the palm and, and, uh, um, he uh, did that very intentionally, mm. and uh, it's it's quite uh, it, it 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 makes that film. I think that that, that those those touches really make the Wolfman into a mm-hmm. film. Here is this Europe, this modern Europe, in which there are no Nazis at all, but there's a werewolf behind every tree. Mm. You know, Larry Talbot must have had a really big mother because his father wasn't very big. You know, and now, why did he turn out to be so large? <laughs> and, he, and see, Kurt, he was there was. Kurt Siadmach, when he was talking about that, said it's very much his own life. Uh, he was, I mean, he said his prayers by night and through no fault of his own. He became this hunted person. Uh, but in his case, it was because he was a Jew. And, and it was through nothing that he did. And that's what Lawrence Talbert was. He didn't do anything wrong, and this was thrust on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's w- one of the uh, uh, earliest examples of a really conscious uh, historical parable being uh, inserted into one of these uh, monster movies. Uh, I don't think we saw it again really until Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which uh, again was knew exactly what it was doing. Oh, and uh, you said in one, I think in Monster Party, I think you said that the original script uh, for the cat people was going to be Nazis invading this village? Yes, that was uh, one of of the original concepts that was uh, 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 discarded. But uh, the... I always thought uh, Cat People and the Wolfman ought to be on a double bill. I don't think oh, they'd ever been. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And and I heard you said that the Cat People, it's supposed to be the Nazis invade this village and they're all killed by Cat People. Yes, and that uh, is, I think, typical of the kinds of treatments that, uh, you know, it's it's really, you think it's going to be the, the the treasure trove of all time to get into the universal vaults and start looking at these old treatments and, and all the discarded uh, concepts of these films. And there was a lot of just terrible writing. <laughs> I mean, just I'd, I'd like to see ideas. the cat people attack and kill Nazis. I think that sounds like a good see, thing. I, well, that, that when, sounds when good. I read that, I thought the same thing. It's like yeah. I wish someone would remake cat people with that script. <laughs> I mean, you know, that cat people, in, in, I mean, all the Val Luton fans are going to not like me for this, but, you know, it's like, where's the fucking cat people? You know, yes. <laughs> you know I, was like, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I'm sitting through this movie and there's like, you know, uh, the scariest thing is like a, the sound that the bus makes when it stops, you know, and at that point, and it's like, where's the cat people? I, you know, I, I wanted to see cat well, people. I, that's, I that's why, that's why, you know, when I did Michael Jackson's thriller, 
I made him a cat person instead of a werewolf. It was more of a cat because I wanted to see the cat. Oh, you were scratching an old itch there. Yeah, that's right. And and when Kurt Siadmach wrote uh, The Wolfman, it was originally a psychological horror that we never know if he really was the wolfman or not. Again, I didn't want to see that movie. No, no. (laughs) And and Universal said to him, out and out, no, we want a monster. (laughs) And that's what it became. Thank goodness. Here's one for you, Rick, from a a listener, John Leary, a big monster kid. Uh, What would, this is a difficult question maybe, but what would Rick's Frankenstein makeup have looked like if he was assigned to do it way back in the day? Oh, and you would have been dealing with the, the materials of the day, the collodion that you speak about and the cotton and the everything that poor Jack Pierce had yeah, to rely you know, upon. I have, you know, I've always wondered what a Frankenstein would be if I did it, you know, but without having the Karloff image in my head. You know, the problem is, is the Karloff image is burned into of my course. brain and I can't conceive of the Frankenstein's monster without the Karloff and Jack Pierce makeup, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I really don't know. You know, I, it, it's funny. I mean, I, the original film, the 1931 uh, makeup is my favorite, and, and Karloff is my favorite Frankenstein. I mean, I think he looks the best in that because I think he's the most cadaverous, you know. And, and uh, but I mean, I also like the way he looks in The Bride of Frankenstein. I like how he looks in The Son of Frankenstein. You know, I was not a big Glenn Strange fan. When Glenn came along as the monster, first of all, I mean, the monster had evolved into the big brute that doesn't, you know, have the sympathy and stuff. Yeah, but he lost his I, personality. I, I just didn't think the makeup worked as well on him until Abbott Costello made Frankenstein when the Bud Mess- Westmore regime. And it, it, it's funny, I got in a big discussion with, I mean, first of all, I, I, Benicio del Toro and I got in a big fight about, you know, the, who's the best Frankenstein when I was doing The Wolfman, because, you know, Benny's a big monster kid, and he would come in with all these monster magazines and, and quiz me on stuff, which I got every answer right. When he started saying that Glenn Strange was the best Frankenstein ever, I was like, oh, you know, I left, I left the makeup trailer, you know? And, <laughs> and, I go, and when, when uh, Glenn Strange, by that time, Glenn Strange would go crazy at the very end, because that's when the, when you're waiting for the, and and then you'd see Lon Chaney Jr. destroying <laughs> yeah, the, the laboratory from from Ghost, Ghost of Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> and and him being hit by a uh, uh, girder knocked to the ground <laughs> in uh, Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. No, they were all interchangeable as far as the studio was concerned. I think. Originally, oh, and, and the the angry crowd from Phantom of the Opera <laughs> would be chasing him. The uh, uh, getting back to Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Uh, originally, Cheney was supposed to play both monsters. Yeah, and they figured out that was going to be a logistical uh, nightmare and a very long shoot, and uh, and so Lugosi uh, finally got to play the part. He yeah he finally got it and it was going to be a speaking part, and he just got totally screwed halfway yeah. through. Yeah. What why you, you, you know what I like in 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 the when the, uh, the Cheney when Laurie Lawrence Talbot finds the monster in frozen in ice mm-hmm. and it's and it's uh, Eddie Parker yep. and he's breaking the ice. There's a scene where he's breaking that piece and it's a huge chunk of ice. It hits him right on the head. Have you ever noticed that? No, it's like he's there and he's like, you know, trying to be like unconscious. This piece of ice goes, bam! Oh! Yeah, you, you watch it again, you'll see that. And the other thing that, you know, 
I used to love the castle films, you know, before, you know, there were video recorders mm -hmm. and stuff. We had the little eight millimeter 50 foot rolls at castle films and Edmund Costello meet Frankenstein. You know, it was the scene at the end where it loses on the table and all that stuff. And even in the little eight millimeter thing, I could see when there's a Glenn's laying on the table and he gets up and he lifts his head up and turns to look at something and you see the electrode get ripped off his neck because it's it's got a clamp it's <laughs> clamped into wire on it, you know. And he goes like this, and you can see the foam rubber ripping. He goes, and then he moves back real fast, you know. But, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Well, what is that thing? I saw an interview with you, Rick, talking about the flat head that, uh -huh. that you were always confused by 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 Pierce's choice. And you were saying something about how Pierce himself was studying burial techniques and surgical well, I mean, techniques. You know, again, it's probably all. You know, made up by the publicity yeah, department, so. you know, I uh, you know, yeah, I mean, there's the whole thing about, you know, hanged men and the blood going down to the lower extremities. And that's one reason he's got the black fingernails and stuff, which makes sense. But he said, you know, it, you know, Frankenstein not being a trained surgeon would take the easiest way to cut, to get the brain out of the head, which is just cut the top of the head off. So he takes the top of the head off and then puts it back on. So it's like a box. So he's flat like a box. It's like, well, no, if you... You would it would maybe be a, a, an eighth of an inch flatter than it was, you know, less high than it was, but it wouldn't be flat unless you just totally left that part off, and then you'd have a flat head that was like here, you know. But it makes no sense whatsoever. But it's, it's <laughs> oh, but it, it's the it's the iconic image, you yeah. know, that that's going to outlive all of us, you know. And I, I think in the case the monster was really likely a true collaboration between Pierce and with a lot of in. Input from whale. But whale. I'm sure, too. Because whale, uh, the, the monster has too much, there's too much going on there, too much of the artistic zeitgeist of the time, the uh, the art moderne, art deco uh, stylization. Um, I, I I saw a, uh, uh, a portrait somebody had done of Mussolini that ran in papers in early 1931, and my God, it's the monster. It's all this, it's this cubistic mm. thing there. Uh and it looks like Russian constructivism, which was very big movement on the stage. Uh, Whale was a stage designer. He was a painter. He knew about stuff that uh, uh, Pierce probably didn't. Mm. And uh, I don't know. I mean, and Pierce apparently didn't like to work with other people. I would love to know <laughs> what that collaboration was like. Mm -hmm. And and I, it seems like I I heard like. James Whale hired Colin Clive because Frankenstein was, Dr. Frankenstein was a tortured soul, and so was Colin Clive. So what do you know about Colin well, they, Clive? They wanted Leslie Howard, didn't they, David? Le Leslie Howard and Betty Davis were considered for Frankenstein and Elizabeth. Wow. How different that would be, huh? Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, Carl Lemley Jr. said that uh, Betty Davis has all the sex appeal of Slim Somerville. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and so that didn't happen. Uh, there are so many near misses. Like, like Rick was saying, it's impossible that movies get finished or made or, or, or that are really iconic films like uh, The Wizard of Oz, the stuff that was considered and discarded that would have just ruined it. Or that Casablanca was, casting that they had yeah. in mind. Oh, yeah, Ronald Reagan. Another great example. Yeah. And, but how, what, I heard that um, Colin Clive w went a little wacky toward the end of his career. 
Well, he wasn't wacky. He was he was a a longtime alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, he died very young, right? He did. He was in his uh, his thirties. Forrest Ackerman went to see him in his at at the funeral home, and they had him on a funeral bed. He said it looked just like uh, he had in uh, a Bride of Frankenstein Mm. in that uh, bedroom scene at the beginning. Mm. And um, don't know a lot of. About him, he was tormented. Uh, he may have been sexually tormented. He was married to a French lesbian for some reason. Um, but uh, he, uh, the drinking is what really uh, uh, did him in and uh, was the cause of his death or alcohol-related problems. And it's, yet it's a well, wonderful performance. Oh, no, he's great. And he's great in, in Mad Love, too. Great yeah. in Mad uh, Love. Yeah. I've for a long time been saying I'd love to see a remake of Man of a Thousand Faces with Brian Cranston as playing Lon Chaney. Oh, how interesting. Because I think, I think he'd make a great Chaney. You know, mind you, he's a lot older than Chaney was when mm-hmm. he died even. But facially, you know, stru- the structure's very that's, similar. That, that's when I first saw him, I went, I could, I could make him up like Chaney, and that they, would be great. They, you know? they, they, uh, Chaney Jr. said they interviewed him before making the movie, and he told them all the facts of the story, and he said... They changed absolutely everything. Well, it's the Hollywood version of his life, yeah. I'm sure, yeah, he didn't write Junior on the makeup kit on his deathbed. No, you know? no. That's <laughs> yeah. the most ridiculous yeah, yeah. part of it. You know, I actually, I, I enjoy that movie. Uh, I'm not crazy about the makeups, so You know, I mean, the original Chaney makeups they were so nutty. much better, you know, than what they ended up with. You know? Although they did like one. They'd only, they did one of uh, Cagney... Uh, in London after midnight, yeah, and it only survives as a still photo. Yeah, they, uh, apparently there was no footage, but um, it, it, it was it. it he really, really caught it. Well, unfortunately, I mean, it, you know, a lot had to do with the fact that Cagney had the wrong face. You know, I yeah. mean, you couldn't do the, you know, the family well, we, opera. We like the right. idea of Cranston. Oh no, yeah. I think it'd be great. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I, I had, I had dinner with him and and talked about it uh, to him. Oh, you, you know, told he, him. He was actually he 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 and uh, um, what's his name the. Uh, 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 Vince Gall- Gilligan, uh, the uh, yeah, yeah, Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad. Yeah, um, uh, they both thought it was an interesting idea, and he he was kind of intrigued, you know. But I, I, can't I said get the thing it out of my mind now that you mentioned it. I no, mean, no, he, I think it, it'd be, I think <laughs> he'd be great he's the only actor who could could do it today because well, he's a good actor. Yep. Yeah, he's a great actor. He made a great is, like, But who who would go see it is the problem. No, you know, I can't see a studio being interested in it because a kid doesn't know who Lanchini hey, is. They just made you know? a movie about Herman Mankiewicz. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, and, <laughs> and I remember too. In uh, also, I enjoy *Man of a Thousand Faces* as a movie. I know it's a total fairy tale, and his makeup as the Phantom of the Opera is ridiculous. The mm. nose is too big. The forehead's too high up. It's yeah, a, no. It's again. It's you know. I think the makeups work so well, partly, on, I mean, the Cheney makeups, the original one, partly because of the limitations that he had. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do the things that you could do with foam rubber, but because of that, it has a reality. It's based in more of a reality. There's a lot more of a real face yeah. going on there, and it and it comes through it in so much better. Torturing his own flesh. Yeah, well, that's real. it. I mean, you know, I, I doubt that Cagney would like his nose pulled up like, it, like Cheney had and all that, you know. But yeah, it's uh, again. Uh, un- unfortunately, you know, it's the new, improved, uh, you know, 
material and makeup, which isn't as good as the old version. You know? but, uh, Rick, we alluded to it at the top. We have to ask about Kenneth Strickfadden and what you've done in your own home. Okay. The, the, way, the way the way you are using your time in retirement, and it's on you. It's on YouTube. It's absolutely fascinating what you've done. Well, the the I I don't know what's on YouTube, but um, the my original Frankenstein room was wasn't done in my retirement. It was done oh probably thirty years ago. Um, but and it, again, it all came. It, this all came out of my you know being a monster kid. You know. I went. I remember going to Movie Land Wax Museum in in, in oh, yeah. Buena Park. They had a, a, a Frankenstein's monster that didn't look anything like Boris Karloff, but it had a flat head. You know, and it had one you could pose with. You know, that's like in an electric chair. You could take a Polaroid with. You know, but it was like, why don't they make the monster look like the monster? You know, and I go, I'm gonna someday. I'm gonna make a Frankenstein that looks like Boris Karloff in the makeup, and I'm gonna. It's basically a, a life size. Aurora model kit, you know, I mean, right. it was like, and, and I, I, and I, you know, I, I copied, you know, uh, well, I mean, I, uh, at this point I had a crew of a lot of amazing people that were good at electronics and m- machine machinery and stuff who, who made the machines for me, you know, um, under my art direction, but I basically copied the Strickfad and stuff. And I, when you're talking about, you know, missed opportunities, I had met Strickfadden. I went to Strickfadden's oh, house. Wow. And he, in his garage, he still had a whole bunch of his stuff, and he turned them on and, and you know, made all the noises and did all this stuff. And I told him, you know, I've always been fascinated by these machines. This is before I built the Frankenstein room. And I said, I want to build, you know, a Frankenstein's laboratory someday, and I want to copy your machines, you know. And he said, I have a whole bunch of spare stuff here. You got You should come over some weekend, and we can put some machines together, you know. And I never took him up on it, and 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 shortly after that he died, you know. And I went, "Damn it, Rick, you should, you got to follow up on this stuff, you know." And there's been so many occasions like that. I had friends, old friends in the business that had great stories about, you know, filmmaking in the days, and go, "I got to record this and get it down before it's gone," you know. And then that goes, you know. And and I mean, we did a a photo shoot for a, a, a Empire magazine about gremlins uh, and, you know, Dick Miller and Chris Wallace were there and, 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 and Zach was there. And I, I said to Dick Miller, I go, I want to take some photos of you. Cause he kind of, he looked a lot like my dad looked and And I said, I, I want to get some, take some cool photos of you. Dick lives, well lived, I should say a few blocks from my house. I didn't do it, you know. It's like, damn it, you, you gotta. When you say you got to do these things, you got to do them, you know. Yeah. It, That's why we do this show is to preserve this stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and great. We, we had Dick here, you know, and we, yeah. you know, and, and we had Sarah Karloff. We had uh, we had Donnie Dunnigan a couple of months ago. Yeah. We, Janet we tr- Ann Gallo. We, Janet Ann Gallo. I mean, we tr- we try to we try to hang on to this stuff. And, oh, and, there's so and many get great some stories. Kind of record of it. Yeah, and, so many great stories get lost, you know. They the, do get the, lost. The stuff that Kenneth Strickfadden created, it was just new wave art. Mm, yeah. And and because when you watch the movie, it, I, when you think about it, you think they got that much electricity out of a thunderstorm? Well, yeah, again, and they have all these electric machines, but they don't have a telephone or, uh, or right. anything no, else. Right. Yeah. Oh, and, 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 <laughs> and like, where I, the hell is it? And what time period is it? You know, but who cares? You know, it doesn't and matter. And I think in Bride of Frankenstein, Dwight Fry takes out a walkie-talkie. <laughs> And so there's no light bulbs. Oh, when when he's uh, when yes. she's in the cave and it was like yes, yeah. no light bulbs, nothing. <laughs> but he has to walk this electronic device. Yes, it does. yes. <laughs> so With none of this wireless phone. Yeah. yeah, none of it was yeah. borrowed from Strickfad, and you just basically found people who oh, could oh yeah reproduce no. a Tesla coil and and these yeah. transistors. And we, and- 
And you know, we I, I I had a guy who was like my wood shop guy in 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 you know who had built the tables and stuff. And I had him building. You know, I, I would go and now I want this wall like this, and I would put two by fours up in the angles that I wanted them. And then I'd come in after coming home from work, and it was like. Oh, I straighten this out for you. And I go, no, you know, it's not supposed to be straight. You know? So I was like, you know, I made him watch the movie, you know, and go, see this, you know, but you know, it's funny. I mean, the strict fed machines show up in so many things, you know, I know. and, uh, and uh, I actually, you know, was offered, uh, you know, after he died and I, this guy, I think his name was Ed Angel inherited the machines and there were uh, numerous times they were being sold. They wanted a million dollars for the Frankenstein machines. And I went and looked at them, and there was nothing original from Frankenstein. He, all, all of them had been cannibalized and redone. You know, he I would, see. You know, it's, it's like Ray Harryhausen would cannibalize armatures, yeah. you know. And, uh, and I, I, one auction house, I went, you know, you're claiming this stuff is all from Frankenstein. Ne- none of these things were in Frankenstein. I'm telling you because I know, and somebody's going to buy this, and they're going to watch the film, and they're not going to find any of this stuff. And they and they kick me out. <laughs> you know, they go. And, oh wow! Oh, and, yeah. and the funny thing is, getting back to like the mad scientist plot, you realize like Jurassic Park was meddling in things man should leave alone, and that was that plot, the old mad scientist thing, and playing God. It, yes. Yes. And in one of them, what the hell's his name? Um, that actor who was in, like, Law and Order, who was in one of them, uh, what, he was, he, he was in, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, uh, Vince Onofrio? Vince, yes. He is in one as an army sergeant, and it is directly out of the old movies where he says, imagine, like, an army of these things. <laughs> And that they used to do in the movies a lot. They create, they talk about a an an army of these monsters. Mm. Well, it goes back to all that war stuff, I guess. Well, too, yes. Right? Well, one of, one of the uh, original treatments for the Invisible Man at Universal, nobody was actually going back and reading H.G. Wells. Uh, and they forgot that he was going to get uh, <laughs> approval of the script. But one of the treatments had. Um, an army of invisible rats that would spread bubonic <laughs> plague in Manhattan. Wow. I told you, they're not all masterpieces. Speaking lost. of rats, uh, David, what's the deal with the uh, the armadillos and the possums in Dracula? Where are the, as D- Rick wants the monsters, where are the rats? <laughs> the, uh, well, there, there was, I, I did see one studio memo that uh, objected to rats because they, uh, they called the rats are not "Quote unquote good theater," and <laughs> my God, but but uh, Browning had used armadillos in London After Midnight. They're described in some reviews of the film. No, there aren't any photographs. But uh, uh, Balfour Manor was, uh, uh, you know, scuttling with uh, with with armadillos, and Browning loved to just use things over and over. It was almost like a, a a, a, a fetishy thing, um, and he did it so many times that it's not a an accident. But he recycled them for Dracula. Well, it was his pet, he, and he charged him for it. He rented the armadillo. That was how. That's how he made money. And, it's just and the strength. Donald Trump, Trump might really, do that, but I, <laughs> really I freaks you out to they see those armadillos. Shipped him the animals. <laughs> uh, they shipped armadillos and snakes, and all in the same box. 
So a lot of times they'd receive it, and and the armadillos were all dead, having been bitten by poisonous snakes. I thought you were going to say the armadillos were fat and there were no snakes in the box. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> Last question for you, Rick, from a listener. Gary Girani, our friend Gary Girani, a, a big monster kid, too. Uh, I want to ask Rick about various re- the remakes of Creature from the Black Lagoon that had been planned in the 80s. Uh, I believe Rick was asked to create a prototype Gilman suit for the proposed uh, remake, uh, but updated. Can he provide any thoughts here? I, I was approached probably four or five times about creature remakes. Um, one was uh, John Landis and Joe Dante uh, version. Uh, the, the one was Ivan Reitman was involved. I forget who was going to direct it. Uh, the one that actually I got a little money and did some designs for was the John Carpenter version. John Carpenter was going to do a remake. And I did some designs. There's pictures in, the, uh, in my book of the creature that I designed. Um, and I... I, it was very true to the original creature. I think the original creature is a great, you know, the concept is fantastic and the suit's great. And, and, uh, I didn't want to vary too far from that. You know, mm-hmm. I still wanted to keep, you know, an attractive male physique uh, kind of a thing to it, but it very much looks like the creature just slightly updated. You know, I, I, I remember in the Ivan Reitman version when they were talking to me about it. I had lunch with a director at a a local restaurant, and he was saying, no, we want the creature to be, you know, part dinosaur, part, uh, you know, and he just was naming off all these animals, you know, and I go, it's the gill man, it's like a fish man, you know, has nothing to do with a dinosaur, and, uh, you know, and all these different creatures, they, you know, well, we want a little bit of all that stuff, we just think it'll make it better, it's like, you know, I'm not interested, you know. And not to bring you down, Rick, but Octoman just turned 50. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? Yeah, 71. Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, pe- people can check back on the previous time you were here to know what I'm talking about. And, and I, I always remember as a kid uh, watching the monsters, and the creature of the Black Lagoon shows up, and his name is Uncle Gilbert. There you go. <laughs> 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 Let's get some plugs in here. David, your books, uh, The Monster Show, Hollywood Gothic, the definitive book on Dracula. Um, I learned so much. The whole Lord Byron connection to Dracula I didn't know with, with uh, uh, his former protege. Very w- wonderful stuff in there. Uh, and Thank the you. Dra- and the documentaries, The Frankenstein Files and Road to Dracula, both of which Rick is in, the TCM book. Rick, your incredible two-volume coffee table book. It's heavier than an actual coffee table, <laughs> by the way. That, that, is a bo- that may take me a lifetime to get through that book. That is the, that is the densest book. Yes, they sent that to me. <laughs> it is an incredible I, I thought piece it of was work. like a refrigerator. <laughs> they were. Well, you know, it's a book about me, and I'm pretty dense, too, so it's like, it makes sense. <laughs> the, the, these are wonderful reads, and we can't recommend these, these labors of love uh, enough. And, and thank you, fellow Monster Kids, for, uh, for coming and being a part of this and celebrating these, these iconic movies. You know, what's going to happen when all these old Monster Kids pass away? Are there still going to be Monster Kids, do you think? Oh, God. I hope so. I hope so, too. We, owe, we all owe a debt to Fari Ackerman, don't we? That's for sure. Because it wasn't just the movies. It was also oh, the magazine. Oh, oh, yeah. And he's the one that... He, because in that magazine, it told me that Jack Pierce got paid I, to make monsters. You know? and, there, there, I, I have I, it on good authority that there are uh, a good number of monster kids who are, are actively indoctrinating 
Oh, and, good. And children and grandchildren. There, and there are monster <laughs> kids who I know who, um, and, and it's funny. Whenever they'll, they'll meet like or work with a famous actor, they'll say to me, oh, he's one of us. Yeah. Meaning like he's a fan of the old monster. Do you guys know Kirk Hammett from Metallica? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Kirk gave... <laughs> He's like he, yes. made, he puts us to shame. Oh no, he gave me he gave me a white a white zombie uh, guitar, one of his guitars. Oh, what a nice uh, gift! Yeah, it's funny because there's so many rock and roll guys that are big monster fans. You know, uh, um, John Fogarty, uh, who's a friend of mine, uh, uh, we, we became friends over the fact that he's a monster kid. I heard you know? Max Weinberg was too from the from uh, the Springsteen band. Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh yeah, I'm he hearing. is. Yeah, That's no, for I'm sure. Hearing. Yeah, the the drummer. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I, yeah. I met it's... him too, and we we, we bonded right away over of. Uh, Famous monsters and all those things. And it's there's amazing. There's a belief. There's a belief or rumor that, uh, as much as the Westmores got credit for the uh, creature of the Black Lagoon, it was this woman makeup artist. Yes, it was not. She's no, not a makeup artist. She's a designer, a sketch artist, uh, Millicent Patrick, uh, who designed it. Yeah, she she also designed the Metal and the Mutant and uh, mm-hmm. and and most of the stuff that they did out of there. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, the whole. Westmore regime, uh, you know, Bud wasn't necessarily the person really, the art, artist behind it. He was the department head who got the credit, you know. But you had people like Chris Mueller who who sculpted the creature from the Black Loon head anyways and parts of it, you know. And and Millicent Patrick and, and a lot of creative people, Jack Kevan, who was the lab man. Um, but it's the Westmore name that, that got the credit, yeah. Oh, we're glad she got her due. How's our friend Bob Burns doing? Anybody in touch with him? Uh, he's he's struggling. He's still around. He's it's old. You know, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's tough we, getting we, old. We love that guy. Yeah, everybody does. And, Bob has a lot of people. That wonderful man. That's a and monster Frank kid. Frank and I were talking about how I think John Huston used to be a writer on some yeah. of the horror well, films. He wrote something. In, he, he wrote uh, he wrote one of the. Uh, Did he write the speech? Did he write the speech? Unused oh, yeah, speeches for Frankenstein and Sloan's speech. And they and, uh, and uh, I, I've, I've seen the original. There it is, and uh, his name is on it. They didn't use it, but they didn't. It use, was, so it wasn't him. His that they used. No, and no. I heard there. Somebody told me there was a scene meant for the Wolfman. Where he sticks his finger into the holy water and it starts bubbling like it's boiling, mm. and then later on that got used in uh, in uh, Devil's Advocate where Al Pacino puts mm. his finger in water. Mm-hmm. I worked in that movie. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. So it's a, it's a nice bit though. <laughs> so did it, that did it come in when he goes to see uh, uh, the Bela's funeral? It, that's the only place been, it could yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gilbert, we could go on for hours. Oh, my God. If it's, if <laughs> it's about gentlemen. old monsters. <laughs> we want to talk to a couple old monsters. Yeah. <laughs> we want to thank you guys for schlepping to Burbank, and we want to thank our friends, Land, Romo, and Aristotle Acevedo, and our pals at Starburns Audio for making this episode possible. I hope you guys come back. Would you come back every year and talk to us about yes. this stuff? Yes, sure. yes, yes. Come, of course. come back every week. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a lot of stuff we didn't cover i'll tell you there's a yeah, lot we didn't, we didn't, of stuff we didn't oh cover. my god I we didn't even we didn't we didn't we didn't talk about my miniature frankenstein version either so we, that's next time come back i'll bring, I'll bring pictures the, way, that, the youtube footage of your lab is that, that you're saying that's old footage that's not up to date well i don't know what's on the i don't know what what it is it's you it giving may, a tour of the of the uh 
you know, it may be uh, actually Jonathan, who was the actual author of my book, who wrote wrote, wrote the words, um, videoed me, and I think he put something on on yeah. YouTube. But it's been used. There was Until a I got a, wind of it. It was Kevin Brownlow did. Huh? He, Kevin Brownlow in his Universal Horror documentary. There was some, he, yes. He came docu- yeah, and we, that, that was the best version of it, yeah. yeah, when everything was working and it was newer, yeah. So, But yeah, there's there's stuff out there. But, well, but my we'll, miniature one's on my on my Instagram account. Uh, there's okay. a lot of stuff of that, yeah. So okay, so we'll plug out. the Instagram, the Twitter, also uh, David's website, monstershow.net. is a lot of fun. And get these books. <laughs> and thank you guys for all the entertainment. Thank you. Thank you thank for you. having us. Thanks for being people after our own heart. Yeah, thanks for having this podcast. Oh, well, it's, a, it's our honor. We'll do this every year, right, Gil? We'll have them back. And yes, we'll do- <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we didn't okay. even talk about Dwight Fry, damn it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we, didn't talk, we hardly talked about Frankenstein. Okay. Okay. No. <laughs> we, we hardly, yeah. And, and didn't Dwight Fry, when he died, he was listed as a tool, tool designer. Maker. He was a tool designer. Yeah, yeah, like a... Yeah. a, a, a that is absolutely true. Yeah. This could be a seven-part episode, but we'll, yep. we'll cut, it, cut it down to two, a, a, a mere two how hours. Did he get, how did he get <laughs> fucked up so quick, Dwight Fry, where it's like he fell from those two great movies, or three great movies, because he was also in Bride, to like doing like bit parts. Just and, like a random villager that has yes, one line or yes, something. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, uh, you know, there's... There he aren't that many monster sightings. Lockheed David. It sounds like he died of overwork. Yeah. No, he died. Be, he he actually died of uh, heart disease. He was oh, a he Christian had a, he had scientist. Pre, he was condition. a Christian scientist, and he uh, refused medical treatment. Well, he, oh. should have been, he should have been a mad scientist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert, and, do you have a? Go ahead. I'm sorry, David. Yeah. No. Um, I it, thought we were done. I got to pee. Okay, David. Oh, okay. <laughs> save, save Dwight Fry. Gilbert, you got to sign off. <laughs> I know the feeling. Even Oscar winners pee. Yeah. <laughs> so, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking to two of the kings of Monster Kids Everywhere, Rick Baker and David J. Skull. And uh, Rick Baker has to pee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. We'll do it again. Thank you, Thank you so much. And bye. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly to my surprise he did the mash he did the monster mash the monster mash it was a graveyard smash he did the mash it caught on in a flash he did the mash he did the monster mash from my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abode To get a jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash They did the monster mash The zombies were having fun The party had just begun The guests included 
Red Wolfman, Dracula and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It got on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster match. Out from his coffin, Rex's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band And my Monster Mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what is said Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash The Monster Mash And do my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on in a flash Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash <laughs> 